Welcome to The Fiscal Feminist, a conversation about women, money, and priorities. Hi, everyone. This is Kimberly Davis. I'm The Fiscal Feminist, and we are going to talk today a little bit about marriage and the money talk. So whether you are a single lady, or you're thinking about getting married, or you are married, or you got divorced, many of the topics that we're going to address today are going to be very relevant to your your life and your and your planning of, of preventative and being preventative in your and your strategy. Um, I am going to be speaking today to Christy Lewis, who is a premier estate tax and business planning attorney in Orange County. Um, Christy received her law degree and master's uh, in tax law at Chapman University School of Law. She is um, a very uh, intelligent, vibrant woman who uh, knows a lot about all this stuff. Um, as someone who didn't prepare very well before I got married or while I was married or even after I got divorced, it would have been really great if I had spoken to Christy before I did any of that stuff. Um, so we're going to be talking about a plethora of issues. Uh, regarding marriage and finance and money in general, what to do before you get married, what to do after you get married if you hadn't done the right things before you got married, what to do after you get divorced because maybe you hadn't thought of all the things that we're going to talk about today. So first I'd like to introduce Christy. Christy, hello. Hello. And um, I'd like you to just tell us um, a little bit about what the thrust of your law practice is and um, in the midst of doing that, um, maybe how we can contact you so people understand where you're located and how they can get in touch with you. But tell us what you do all day. Okay. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you for the kind introduction. I'm really happy and excited to be here. Um, at Lewis Business and Estate Planning, the focus of our practice is really on planning. That involves planning for individuals and businesses and includes estate planning, tax planning, and business, business planning, as you mentioned. Um, we can be reached at our office at 714-581-8808. Happy to take calls of questions, follow-up questions, or whatever else. Um, and my personal or my business email address is clewis, C-L-E-W-I-S, at lewisplanning.com. Thank you. Thank you for that information. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about your practice and how estate planning and marital planning and all of these various types of planning fit together because I think people, when they hear estate planning, they automatically think they've got to be thinking about dying. Um, and, and actually what you do is very organic and very much in one's current day-to-day -day life and is very relevant. So it's not just about when you pop your clogs and go off into the next world. It's very relevant uh, and, and it does encompass uh, marital planning. So just give us a little bit of an idea about all of that. That's right. Uh, you're, you're right on point with, with that. Um, people tend to think of estate planning as death planning. However, that really is a big misconception. Um, while estate planning certainly includes death planning, it is, that's only part of the equation. We believe at, at our firm that estate planning is multifaceted and pre- and post-marital planning is an important part of the, of the estate planning process. Um, we advise clients that they should be just as concerned about preserving their estate during their life as they are about preserving their estate at death. Um, and pre- and post-marital planning can protect an individual's estate during life as well as at death. Um, while you're living, your estate includes all of the assets you currently own. However, pre- or post-nuptial agreement can even protect the assets you do not yet own. 
um, those you may accumulate in the future. Our pre and post marital planning recommendations typically involve multiple layers, often including a mixture of trusts and agreements, all of which together provide layers of protection from probate, creditors, and divorce. So if I'm a, a work, say I'm a, a single gal and I'm working and I, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I might get married. Um, first of all, it, to be honest, it wouldn't have occurred to me to call an estate attorney. So it's really good to know that this is something in your wheelhouse that you do, and, and it would be in addition to talking to me about my long my long term plan. Um, so tell me a little bit about. I come to you. Um, you're going to advise me. I need to be proactive about my future because you know we can't ever envision all the twists and turns of life. There are some contingencies that arise, and if we are not prepared for them, you know, these can cause us some serious problems and put us at risk in the future. Um, so what would you, um, you know, what we're trying to do here, ladies, is we want to make sure that we change the narrative. It's not, there's nothing wrong with planning. It doesn't mean that if you are to get married and you want to prenup that you're less in love with the person that you're marrying. Um, it doesn't make you any, you know, less of a kind and, and giving woman. It just means that you're being proactive to make sure that in the event something that you can't anticipate happens, that you're protecting yourself. That would be the same as, you know, making sure you make a doctor's appointment for some sort of pre preventative, um, you know, uh, examination that you would get. So I'm coming to Christy. I'm going to put myself as, a, as the kind of guinea pig here, and I want to learn, okay, I, I'm a lady, I work. What do I need to do next, Christy? What's the first thing I should be thinking about? Right. So one of the first things um, that, are, that we recommend is, um, particularly if you own any assets, is to set up what we call a separate property trust. It's a revocable living trust created to hold separate property assets. Um, in general, just kind of as a brush up, um, separate property, also known as non-marital property, is any real or personal property acquired outside of marriage or received by gift or inheritance um, or, or, or acquired during the marriage with separate property funds. So just kind of keeping in mind that going forward, if you're not married, that that is what we're planning around is, is if you do get married, that, that, you know, we want to be able to understand, you know, what is your separate property, and it's important to do that. So so if I work and I'm, you know, saving money, I haven't gotten married yet, I have an investment account or I bought a house or I have a bunch of money in my checking account, whatever it is, um, that would be something I'd want to think about holding in the name of my separate property trust. That is correct. Or maybe I don't work, but I've inherited some money from my, 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 my auntie or my mother or somebody, but <clears throat> I'm not married yet, but I have inherited a bunch of money and it's either invested or somewhere else, that would be something else that I would uh, put into the separate property trust. That is correct. And it would be protective um, also for death purposes. So in the event of death or incapacity, you would have this ongoing trust and you would avoid probate and, and you know, the, the lack of clarification and, and somewhat disarray that occurs, um, you know, with a lack of a trust and a right. lack of planning. So I could designate who would be the beneficiary of whatever's in that trust. That is correct. Now, after I get married, because you made a comment, um, you commented that anything that was acquired with separate property funds after I got married. Tell me a little bit about what that means. 
So the great thing is, is once we set up this separate property trust, it's really a vehicle for conducting future transactions. So um, to the extent that it owns separate property, then when you go at some point to purchase or acquire additional separate property, and, and if the concern, which it typically is, is to keep it separate mm-hmm. property so that it's not doesn't enter into the, the into the divorce equation, then um, then really you have that vehicle to purchase. So that trust would then purchase, purchase that it. additional okay. property, and you would be really creating a very clear line in the sand as to what is your separate property, what is not subject to divorce decree, essentially, and what and what is not. So it is kind of like a living trust. It is that, a living that, trust. So say, you know, people set up living trusts all the time. They're entities in their own right for ownership purposes. That's right. Um, but what, what we want to convey is that this is something that is specifically for your funds in commingling, not allowing it to get commingled. So it's ring fencing it for whether you get married, um, you get divorced, or you cohabit. And we'll get into that a little bit later about what you can do when you cohabit um, and not formally get married. But it's kind of the precursor to setting up your separate um, estate and making sure it doesn't get kind of sucked into the whole community property or equitable distribution in a non-community property state. That is right. So once you have the separate property trust set up, um, and again, you know, uh, just a reminder, you know, you don't have to be getting married per se to do this. You should do it if if you're just out there existing with property that you've received and you haven't done that where you are married, um, you should definitely think about doing this. So what would be the next step in pre-marital planning? Right. So depending upon where you're at, so if you are, let's say we can move on to maybe cohabitation and, and, mm-hmm. and um, assuming that you are single but cohabit- cohabitating with someone, um, you know, it's quite common these days for couples, you know, to live together before marriage, often purchasing property and building a financial house together before tying the knot. Um, in addition to creating and funding the separate property trust, single women who are in, who intend to cohabit should consider entering into, into a cohabitation agreement to confirm the arrangement regarding their legal rights to separate and jointly acquired property. So, you know, there's usually instances where, or typically instances where, you know, one party might be putting the down payment down. Mm-hmm. So we, we need to have some clarity around, you know, what that means and, um, you know, and, and ensure that there, we have clarification about any side arrangements that could be alleged later, you know, any, you know, contracts, you know, that were implied between right. parties or that might exist. With the cohabitation agreement, you're just very clearly setting out what the arrangement is that you're living here. And then, of course, another big issue that we can address in cohabitation agreements is what happens when you break up? Right now, you've now got a tenant. You've got someone living in your house, potentially, you know, and how much time do they have to get out? And what's the agreement about that? And who takes what furniture? And, you know, and all of that stuff that can really create you know, wreak havoc on yeah. on on, a, on an already uncomfortable situation. So, and some people might not leave. Right, <laughs> so right. You exactly. might be in a very, you know, it could become a very tricky situation. Right. And so, the, the the thing that I think is very interesting, um, I never even knew a cohabitation agreement existed, um, and until I was, you know, being educated by Christy on this. But, you know, people who have been married a long time get divorced. Maybe they have a lot of their own assets 
after their divorce, um, and they do decide they don't want to get married again and cohabit. So it could also be for you know people in that situation as well who also have children um, that were before they began cohabiting with this person and that person moves into their house and this can become a very murky area so uh, I think this idea of a cohabitation agreement is brilliant because it's not uh, you know you don't have to necessarily be married but you you know you have to understand the uh, presumption of the law is if someone's been living with you for a long time and they have benefited from a certain life standard they might have they could certainly they could have an certainly argument. assert like, yeah. you know assert and certainly there are plaintiffs attorneys out there that would take up cases like that particularly sure. when there's a wealthy individual on one side and so when you go like just the logistics of doing this so say I'm <clears throat> cohabiting with somebody and I want to have one of these agreements do we both come in and visit you together and is it crafted together and we both sign it um, or does the other person ha bring a lawyer? So our, our recommendation is typically that we would represent one party, um, and, and that means we can head, head up the drafting and, you know, do all the initial legwork and all of that. Um, and, then, and then ultimately the recommendation is for the other party to have their own independent counsel. That, that's just always a great thing, certainly with prenuptial agreements, which we'll be moving on to next. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's a requirement for both parties to have their own separate counsel. So, um, so that you know, really, at the end of the day, what it does is it just strengthens the the agreement. Um, you know, it um, mitigates the risk of you know that party saying they weren't represented and they didn't understand right. what they were signing. Right. So it, it's it's helpful. You know, it's typically a minimal cost. You know, assuming that the parties are both on the same page and that there's you know minimal negotiation and all of that. And these are highly enforceable agreements. A cohabitation agreement, yeah, absolutely. Uh -huh. okay. yeah. So, yeah. I think this is a really good, um, helpful hint for everyone yeah. to keep into consideration because I know sometimes we get caught up in the moment and we are falling in love and we, you know, move in with people and one thing leads to the next and then time passes and nothing has been sorted out. But if you have assets that you've worked very hard for, whether it's through your professional life or through being a wife and mother who subsequently gets divorced or you're a widow, you know, you really, really, really must um, marshal those resources and protect them. You're being very irresponsible to yourself and possibly your heirs, your, your children, your family by not doing so. And there's nothing wrong with um, suggesting having a cohabitation agreement. But so let's just say we actually want to get married. <laughs> yeah. And one point before we move on is uh, that I wanted to make is that most commonly we would, when we draft a prenup, for the, most of the time, I would say, or, or majority of the time, the couple's living together already, right? Um, these days, and so, um, and so, usually, it's a, the what we draft is a combo cohabitation and prenuptial oh, agreement. I love this. And the nice thing is that with with the cohabitation agreement, you know, if you just say, hey, we're going to start living together, you know, we think we're going to get married. You haven't set a date yet. Nothing's, you know, for sure. You're you're actually you know, not to that point yet, but with this cohabitation agreement, we can have all the provisions that the two of you are going to agree will take effect upon that next step occurring. And I so like you've kind idea. of done all that hard work up front and you're so far ahead of your actual marriage date that it's just, it's a really nice transition and it just, it goes really naturally with, you know, I mean, it's challenging to talk and, about prenups. So. And it eliminates 
having to talk about the prenup right before you're getting married right. because you've already hashed it out. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, even if everybody's in agreement, I guess one could argue, you know, this could be kind of a tricky conversation. Um, anytime money's involved, it is a bit of a tricky conversation, even when you love each other. But um, I love this idea that it kind of converts right, right. Exactly. <laughs> into a prenup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that takes away having to do it immediately before. So that's a, that is a very interesting uh, point. So tell us a little bit about prenuptial agreements and what's involved and, um, and why. Well, as we discussed, you know, more and more women are postponing marriage to focus on their education and career, resulting in the accumulation of wealth and and or the development of substantial earning power before marriage. Uh, women who find themselves in this position, which is a great one to be in, by the way, should think seriously about the legal protections offered by a prenuptial agreement. A prenup is just an agreement entered into before marriage to document the nature of property acquired before and during the marriage and the division of property and income, including support, in the unfortunate event of divorce, separation, or death. The idea is for separate property to remain separate to prevent application of the community property or equitable distribution laws to your separate property. Well, so, so just let me ask you a question. So in a prenup, even so we're here in California right now, which is a community property state. Not all states are community property states. Those other states are called equitable distribution states. and. Uh, they kind of try to figure out what's the best way to go about that. It's not so black and white. But you're saying in a prenup you could actually override that by that saying uh, whatever income I make or whatever you want to carve out, you can do that in the body of the prenup, and you that's can, enforceable. Right. You can essentially opt out of, of the community property regime you're in. Um, and and so that is really the beauty of the prenuptial agreement is that you, you're both agreeing, and, and what applies to one side applies to the other side. So it's, you know, there's consideration on both parties. And so, yes, that is correct. And so you can agree to... Um, back out some things to be separate property, agree what's going to be commingled and will be community property, right. and then you you might then have, uh, then you probably would have a trust with your spouse for that property um, that would be, you know, treated in a different way. That's a good point. Yes. Uh, just having a separate property does not preclude you from having, separate property trust does not preclude you from having a trust with your spouse should you should you get married. Um, you would just have a, a community property trust with your spouse for any community property that you acquire, and you could continue to have your separate property trust that would continue to hold your separate property. And what about, um, is are, just as this is kind of an, uh, maybe a bit of a non sequitur, but is it mainly financial, the prenuptial agreements, do they just address financial aspects? That is yes. That is what they're supposed to do. They really should not be getting into you know personal domestic issues. Yeah. Like you know we're going to go to one family for Christmas every year. Yeah. You know, exactly. Like That's this more really part of the divorce, um, kind of the right. divorce proceeding and things to that nature. Um, because if if say you don't have a prenup and you you know you enter into the marriage, you don't have a prenup, um, things go south. Uh, what what happens then? Why are you at risk? What could become of your property? 
Well, does a judge have a say in this besides, yes. you know, the basic community property rules? Right. So judges uh, in family law, judges exercise a tremendous amount of discretion, arguably more than in, in any other practice area. Um, and and so, uh, number one, without a prenup, you are subjecting yourself to the default rules, um, which means, you know, as to characterizing property and all of that, you will fall within those default rules. Um, but beyond that, the, the judge has discretion and jurisdiction, the court has jurisdiction to really determine what is community and what is separate property. Um, and there can be lengthy battles, you know, and ongoing litigation for years just over the character of certain property, whether it's separate property or community property. So that the value of having this prenuptial agreement in place or a postnup for that matter, which we can talk about later, um, is that you have this agreement between the parties that says, yeah, we understand what the default rules are. We understand we live in a community property state. This is what it is. But we want up front to, to agree here, you know, both understanding what, we, what each of us own, which has to be disclosed up front, but we, we want to agree otherwise. We and, are, and are there any restrictions as to what can be put in that? Well, certainly, I mean, you cannot have illegal thing. I mean, you can't obviously contract to do anything illegal right. that would be against the law or that would be against a public policy. You can't, you can't, um, you know, have provisions that would discourage or, or, or encourage divorce um, or, or provide an incentive to divorce. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly that would violate public policy. So, um, so it's, you know, it's kind of a common sense thing. So it's very important that you do seek out legal counsel to do this and you don't, because I, I had a client um, recently tell me, oh, well, I have a prenup, you know, we wrote it on a piece of paper. And I was like, mm, okay, well, I'm a little bit concerned about that because it's kind of like a holistic will, but even worse, um, which is in, a, in writing uh, will on a piece of paper. So I said, I think, you know, we need to kind of move on from that. And, and now that, so bringing us to the point, say you didn't do what you were supposed to do before you got married and you didn't do a separate property trust and you then got married without a prenup so you now you, you haven't done anything you were supposed to do but you are married what can you do now to kind of maybe circumnavigate the fact that you know if things were to go wrong that you have some protection because you didn't do the prenup and you haven't started your separate property trust so what's the next what's our our next uh yeah so first would be do. the separate property trust, if you have separate property. <laughs> um, and then, and it then, all comes back to the separate right, property right, right. trust, ladies. We like these layered approaches, right? So, um, um, and then, of course, you know, if, if it hasn't been done perfectly, in other words, we don't have a prenuptial agreement in place before marriage, so now you're married. Um, a postnuptial agreement can accomplish a lot of what a prenuptial agreement can. Um, there are a few things that cannot be accomplished in a postnuptial agreement, one being waiver of spousal support. That can only be accomplished in a prenuptial agreement before mar entered into before marriage. Um, and that's a, that's a key issue um, for yeah, a lot of people. That's a big, big issue. So yeah. if... So remember, today a lot of um, women will be paying the spousal support. So if you don't have that waived in the prenup, once you're married, it's kind of up to the gods. 
Right. It's up to the court. They have a they have a formula they use to ensure that the spouses get up to kind of more of an equal treatment um, when it comes to any of what was previously maybe community income, um, and and so yeah, that is that is one of those things that we definitely want to accomplish up front, and that planning goes a long way to accomplish. Um, but let's say you haven't done that. You know, there's still important things to be addressed. Um, you can still come together and agree that you know. Your anything that you owned before the marriage um, is going to remain separate property, and um, and anything you acquire going forward by gift or inheritance is going to remain separate property, and just have that extra documentation of your agreement. You can agree on other things as well. Um, you just have to keep in mind that certainly there is um, a greater bargaining power, I think, that is associated with entering into this agreement before the marriage than after. So it's just something that, you know, if you haven't done it, well, there's still things we can do. Just keeping in mind, you know, that it's going to take two. To, yeah, and uh, so everybody agree. has to agree in both cases. Though. In both cases, right. In all cases, right. cohabitation, right. prenup, postnup, everyone right. has to sit in the room together. And I think, you know, that could be a very... Um, a very good thing because it's a meeting of the minds. Um, it's giving people a chance to really discuss money, which, you know, I don't know why we all don't like to talk about it that much because it's a very important part of our lives whether we like it or not. I mean, we can't exist without it. It's very integral to our mental health and our physical health because if we don't have it, we're going to stress about it right. and we're going to be upset a lot of the times, which probably will make us sick. So um, I think it gives people an opportunity to really air out their feelings about money and their expectations about how money figures into their relationships. So it's a healthy exercise. Um, So can you, uh, once you do a prenup and time happens, what if you need to amend it? Or what if something changes? Or you get married and you've got a prenup, but then you're like, hmm, or y'all think maybe we didn't have that completely right. What can we do about that? Yeah, the parties, the both the couple, um, each party can, if they both agree, they can absolutely amend um, their prenuptial agreement. It would at that point be a postnup that would be amending a prenup. But right. but essentially, um, yeah, it's up to the parties as long as they both agree. Um, then absolutely, that that is an option. I see. So when you um when you come in, when people come in um, to talk to you about this, is this a bit, you know, is this something that you discuss a lot with people, or is it really not done very much? Uh, absolutely, and it's becoming more and more popular as you know our uh, divorce rate continues to climb, and um, and people just I think have seen um, bad outcomes, um, you know, even in the estate planning context as it relates to marital property with second marriages, yeah. children from a first marriage, um, you know, and and disputes after uh, after the first death or the death of the spouse that had children from the previous marriage, um, you know, disputes about well, you know, does that survive? spouse have a right to any of this property and and them asserting potentially rights to separate property um, where, you know, we can very clearly set forth in a prenup or a postnup, you know, where that separate property goes. Um, And and so, you know, it definitely comes up a lot in the estate planning context as well as just meeting with clients who are looking to get married or who are cohabitating. So if, um, so I have um, someone who uh, came to me the other day and we were talking about this very issue. Uh, Second marriage, children 
from different spouses, but they had been married for they've been married for a long time. But they're finally talking about estate planning, mm-hmm. and it's been very stressful because they cannot come to an agreement. This the, the spouse has a business um, doesn't quite want to share any of that, and that caused a problem. So it was actually causing them to almost want to get a divorce now because of all of this discussion. But did, does the length of time of the marriage affect? any of these negotiations? Well, well certainly I, I would say that um, if the, you're longer, the longer that you've been married, I think, I think the, the more um, entitlement, and, and, and a lot of times rightfully so, or, or, or the vesting of an interest, you know, that, that is either perceived or actual. And so that, that's where it does become difficult because one spouse may feel like this is theirs and, you know, and then the other spouse may feel like, well, hey, I've been here too and I've been a part of this and, you know, and all that. So it, it is nice to have this up front, you know, as early as possible to have this because, um, you know, we like to say, you know, that, that, that with the prenup, you know, it allows, you know, the parties to have a meeting of the minds when their minds are in the right place, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it's, you know, they're not fighting yet. Mm-hmm. They're, they don't have these expectations that may be mismatched. And so, and so it's really allowing them to kind of agree, well, everything's great. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is the best time to agree. Of course, of course. Because we never think that things are going to go bad until they do. Exactly. And then we're stuck yeah. in exactly. this bad situation. So, so yeah, I, I would always say that you, you can greatly avoid some of that heartache and the, and the stress and the tension and, and on all of that um, by just agreeing to this stuff up front and feeling good about it. And then if you want to amend it later and, you know, and loosen up the provisions or whatever the two of you decide, you're always free to do that. But neither, you know, both spouses, I think, feel better about, you know, being able to form an expectation that's accurate. Yeah. And I think your point that um, when we're talking about these sorts of things to do it, when we have clarity of mind, when we're in a calm demeanor, you know, there hasn't been an incident or people, you know, don't have heightened emotions or they're starting to feel fear because maybe they're talking about estate planning when they're too old to be talking about it because they're getting close to wondering what if this person's going to die and what will happen? Um, and, and also it's a full disclosure. I mean, that way, you know, there are no secrets. Everybody knows the game plan. So um, I want to, uh, I think we're getting down to the wire here. It went by very quickly. Yeah. Uh, I could talk to Christy about so many different topics <laughs> all day long, but I would like to thank you for joining me today and um, educating me and hopefully, um, you know, our listeners to some tips about what they can do to be a little more proactive in their own strategy and preventive and, you know, making sure things don't go awry. Um, Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been been a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. It's been great. So I guess the upshot is this, you know, I I, I just hope that we don't dig, you know, put our heads in the sand and hope that it's all going to go okay and just, you know, you know, you want to be in love, you want to get married, you want to have a fantastic wedding dress or a great wedding, but all all of that stuff is very important. But this is so important. And as, a, as someone who really did not follow my own advice that I'm giving you right now and I suffered for doing so, um, I, can, I cannot stress it enough to say uh, you must, you must, you must think about this and, and, and go forward and actually do it because you and your partner will have a much better relationship for it. 
So um, remember, as Christy says, things are good until they're not good. So why not be prepared on the slight off chance that they might go down a path that we didn't anticipate? And on that note, um, this is Kimberly Davis, the fiscal feminist, reminding you that ignorance is not bliss. Thank you for listening to The Fiscal Feminist, a conversation about women, money, and priorities. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.